brought to my attention by our poet laureate of the United States Emeritus, Mr. Uh, Robert Hass, who uh, wrote an essay uh, uh, describing uh, uh, one of three books he wrote, a very unique trilogy, Seculum. Uh, the first of those three books is what Mr. Hass uh, wrote an, uh, an essay about and can be found in uh, What Light Can Do. And that was your book, Coming to Jakarta. I hope you could share with us today some thoughts on that trilogy. I understand you have some recent work, or a book about the writing of the trilogy. Is that correct? Yes, well, that book is still in process. The, the poem, uh, Coming to Jakarta, it, it occupied me for a decade in the 1980s. I began, I was acutely depressed in 1980 for a number of reasons which come up in the poem, one of them being the election of Ronald Reagan. Uh, and I wrote it very quickly, almost on impulse, in about six weeks and then spent uh, eight years refining it and rewriting it. And the course of that time, um, Bob Hass, uh, I, he and I were both teaching at Cal at that time, and he gave it to a, a version of it to his class to read. And uh, then I got some input from the class, and one of the people in the class actually helped me a lot. The occasion for the poem is the massacre in Indonesia in 1965, where still a lot of people in America are not very aware of the fact. I mean, all the devastation being done by ISIS now is, is nothing really compared to, we don't know how many people were killed. A, a, a low estimate, the lowest estimate is about 250,000. The safe estimate is uh, half a million, but a lot of people believe it was more than a million, maybe even as much as two million. And of course, nothing ISIS has done begins to compare to that. <clears throat> and the targets were, first of all, the, the, the Communist Party in Indonesia, which was the, the most westernized uh, party in Indonesia. In a sense, uh, pro people with Western ideas were the targets of this massacre. And in this case, uh, I believed and had written that the CIA was uh, helping out and British intelligence, MI6, were helping out. And this just made me feel terrible that uh, there was this massacre, it had happened, and nobody knew about it in America, and that's what uh, led to a kind of, uh, I, I thought of it as a breakdown time. I think it was really more like some kind of panic attack. The, it, the, the attack lasted only 12 hours or so through a night when I couldn't sleep, but I began to write my way out of it, and uh, I did a lot of very rapid writing, not knowing where it was going. I didn't know it was going to be a poem about about Jakarta or about Indonesia until I'd written about 20 pages. Anyway, that's the book that caught Bob Hass's attention, other people's attention, too. It's my best-known poem, I think. And, um, and uh, so, yes, he, at the time, he said it was the most important political poem to have been written in the English language for a very long time. So that made me feel better. I went from being very depressed to feeling much better that my depression had led to a product other people liked. 
as many authors write to heal this is a poem of healing it is germane to the conversation i would i would argue as we look at the security state at the activities yes, yes, of the nsa i felt that it, it very much was a, a, a process of healing for me uh but i feel that uh, there's some kind of analogy to the way that uh, nations heal this has been particularly difficult for Indonesia because what happened as a result of the massacre was the imposition of a political dictatorship, military dictatorship. Um, and the man who came in in 1965 was there until he was ousted for corruption in 1998. And even for a decade after that, the military still ran the country. And you were not allowed to mention the massacre unless you called it the PKI Gestapo, in other words, blaming it on the PKI, which is the Communist Party. The Communist Party did not inaugurate this massacre. They were the victims of it, and they were blamed for it for the, uh, there was a coup attempt, which was, I think, a false flag attempt blamed on the Communists. And uh, for so until I think 19, 2007 or something like that, quite recently, you could go to jail if you didn't, if you mentioned the massacre and didn't blame it on the PKI. And they had a, a whole warehouse full of textbooks that were destroyed in 2007 because uh, they had failed to do the obligatory thing, blame it on the PKI. So uh, the country now is getting out of that, and there have been two movies, May an American, Josh Oppenheimer, both of them nominated for an Oscar, by the way, long feature documentaries. First one, The Act of Killing. <clears throat> the second one, The Look of Silence, and because they were on the internet and the government could do nothing about it, Indonesia is now waking up, so to speak, beginning to talk about this thing, having conferences about it. They're going, I think, it's been decided by the government that they will have a, some kind of truth and conciliation, reconciliation process. So uh, you can, t there has been a great healing and art in the form of these two movies uh, played a big role in that act of healing. And if I could b blow my own horn here, I got an unsolicited email from this Josh Oppenheimer, who I had never met or heard of until then, saying that he had been influenced by my poem and by my prose in making the movies. So. There's, um, you know, that that really makes me feel good that art can have a good social function. I, for uh, for 20 years, I thought I'd been totally useless and that my art wasn't affecting anything at all. But I have a better feeling about it now because of Josh Oppenheimer's movies. Uh, well, well, I'm just going to jump in with one question. I've been reading late, getting to what uh, two archipelagos, Indonesia where these massacres took place, and the Philippines. 
Now, as I know, in the Philippines, there's been... That's what I'm talking about. Before the coming of the, uh, the Dutch and the, the, the Dutch and the Spanish, they were blended perfectly. They were blended fine. But, uh, but now we have two archipelagos. That's one through, uh, through just uh, political boundaries. One is the Philippines, where they did have those, those discussions, where there was not uh, the kind of massacre. In fact, discussions did take place between the Communist Party of the Philippines, the New People's Army, and the, uh, and, and the government. And they seem to have come to that uh, kind, of, uh, kind of a truce. Yeah, a kind of a truce. Were there well, two Philippines, Red Philippines? and trouble, I think, and the man they've just elected in the Philippines, uh, I, I haven't really researched him, but I've seen allegations that he was in charge of repressive units that were, some people have called death squads. So they're, they're not free of violence, but there's nothing, nothing like the violence that you had, this kind of huge frenzy. It was... It, it went, I think, beyond what anyone had originally imagined. The, the, the army certainly started the massacring, but uh, it, 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 people went berserk. And there were, uh, of course, there were a lot of personal vendettas. If, if you owed money to somebody, the simple thing was to kill them and so on. But yes, it was uh, the, the result of colonialism uh, was was bad in both archipelagos, but uh, eventually much worse in Indonesia. You make the argument, or I, I draw the conclusion, that coming to Jakarta tells a story of how that action taken was trotted out as a successful trumping of communism and sold as an idea, perhaps, to underwrite the adventure of Vietnam. Yes, it happened at the same time as Vietnam, and uh, one of the analyses of why the Americans wanted to do it is they were very keen to have the army go in and take care of the Communist Party, but they knew that the army was frightened of China, and they wanted to put what they called a shield in Vietnam to keep it in, to interpose between China and Indonesia. And if you had a big U.S. presence in Vietnam, you didn't need to win a war, you just needed to be there. That's the key, I think, to all these wars, where these hopeless wars we keep on fighting. Afghanistan will never win that one. Uh, Iraq, we're back in. Uh, we're never going to win in any conventional sense. But the presence of U.S. troops is what matters, and in the case of Iraq, it means that the government of Kazakhstan is willing to make contracts with Chevron and Exxon and uh, not fear Russia because he's got Russian armies to the north, but now there's an American army to the south. So it's, um, it, it, it doesn't make what sense on one level, it does make sense on another level, and uh, it's imperialism. It looks like the business of war. I was, um, the poem is less, I mean, it, it, if you read my poem, it's not going to tell you an enormous amount about what happened in Indonesia, although it, it did some things, and I, I learned a lot writing the poem and researching that led to certain prose things I wrote, and uh, one of the consequences, which is kind of amusing, I... I actually got to debate William Colby, who he was the, at that time, the ex 
head of the CIA and before that head of the Asia desk at the time of the massacre. So uh, it, uh, it, 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 it created minor waves among intellectuals and so on. Um, but most of the poem was just uh, the feeling of uh, which I think most people have, you know, this is an awful world and we would love to do something about it, but we can't, or we can't seem to get anything done. So it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of the personal and the political. You mentioned earlier that a, a book in progress is the writing of the, uh, a book about the writing of this trilogy. Can you talk about that? Yes, well, first of all, I, I did an article for something called uh, the Asia, uh, uh, Asia P uh, Political Journal, uh, in which I just talked about how writing the poem, well, no, I think I better begin somewhere else. Uh, I, I have a, a friend, a former student, but a now a very good friend and helper and colleague, uh, co-author, who uh, loved the poem and uh, persuaded me two years ago to sit down and do some interviews uh, explaining the poem, because the poem really needs explanation. And so he interviewed me, there are a total of 22 interviews, each one about half an hour long, and uh, he has asked me matter-of-fact questions about what's happening in the poem, and that's the core of the book. And originally it was going to be the book. I was just going to get, transcribe those essays and write a few introductory words, uh, and that would be it. But, you know, interview, being interviewed by him, it took over a year. Um, I thought more and more about the poem, and I realized that the poem had really been very important to me in developing my own political ideas. I, I, I'm known for talking about deep politics, the politics that doesn't get mentioned, the, the locus of power in a zone that is so hidden that the, media, the, 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 the mainstream media never write about it. And I realized that I had uh, being empowered to develop those ideas by writing the poem. The poem helped my political thinking, particularly because there was one event. I recovered a memory in the in writing the poem. It comes at the very end of the poem, and you would have thought it was such a vivid event that it would be something you'd never forget, but I had totally repressed it. And this is what happened. Uh, there's somebody, a friend of mine called Al McCoy, wrote a book called The Politics of Heroin, and I was writing a book called The War Conspiracy at the same time. This is way back in 72, 1972. And uh, he came out here on his way to Indochina, and I phoned somebody that I had met at an anti-war uh, event a few months before. This man had said he was in special forces and he had seen opium loaded onto CIA planes, Air America. So, and I had a contact for him. So I phoned him and I said, would you be willing to talk to my friend Al McCoy and myself? This was a late afternoon and he said, sure. And he gave us his address in Palo Alto. And the next morning, Al and I drove down to Palo Alto, 
and we knocked on, he, we walked up a few steps to his door, banged on the door, and he came out with his fingers to his lips, indicating that we ought to speak. And this was kind of surprising, because we had come to talk to him. And then he led us down the stairs, and then he began to talk, and he said, look at my, look at my MG, and we looked at it. It was a convertible with a sealed door, and there was a hole in the door about a foot in diameter. And he said, and then he said, now look at the floor of my MG, and the floor was made of wood. And he said, they use an implosive device to bomb my car. That must have been my old unit. They're telling me I can't talk to you. Well, I had just witnessed a, a terrorist event, very, a small one, admittedly, but the use, the use of terror to intimidate and silence this guy we were going to talk to. And this was all on the basis of a phone call that I had had with him the night before. So you might think this is a pretty uh, unforgettable thing. In fact, is I forgot about it. And so did Al McCoy, and eventually when Al McCoy uh, wrote the final edition of his major book, The Politics of Heroin, he mentions my account of it in the preface. He quotes from the poem, Coming to Jakarta, because that's how he recovered his memory was through my sharing with him the poem. Well, you know, I think quite a lot of this goes on. We repress, if there are things that don't, wh why would I not remember something like that? I think it, it's just too too scary. I think if there are things that, uh, that we don't want to think about, we repress them. And I think the job of poetry is to bring our consciousness back to those things that we don't want to face and uh, and also to lead a way out because um, if i hadn't found a way out by healing the poem i might not have recovered that memory it's significant to me it was the i recovered a lot of memories in writing the poem but that is literally the very last one on the last page but one of the poem and uh, that's because it was the scariest of all in my relatively un unscary life so that's where I think that poetry is, uh, can contribute to politics. And you were asking about the book I'm writing now. I wrote an essay about recovering that memory and how it led to my notion of deep politics. I published that, uh, I think, uh, in 2011. And uh, then I realized that should go in this book. So the total title of my book is Poetry and Terror, the Poetics and Politics of Coming to Jakarta, because the, uh, the process the, uh, is, is as much political as is po poetical. So that's the core of the book, is those interviews, uh, a couple of introductions, a prose essay I wrote way back in the 1980s, informed by the research which I had done for the poem, and then this, you might say, the most original part is this, how poetry can lead to a, an informed, deeper sense of politics. That's the book. 
We speak of poetry as healing. It was a healing for yourself, and I believe bringing the focus to the reading audience, to pieces of history they might have heard about in passing. I mean, even Hollywood films like uh, uh, that Mel Gibson film with um, uh, Lethal Weapon made reference to running opium out of Vietnam and the silence that is enforced by those who are still doing it. When you see real accounts such as you give it brings it out of the uh, the uh, the imagination and brings it into the real uh, which then perhaps creates the uh, the uh, the attention of the of the group to of the group focus to do some more research and that's where the healing starts yeah and actually it even raises questions of what is real because uh, i don't think my belief is that human beings we're not really supposed to be living in the kind of system that we're living in now. <coughs> and that, uh, and that we're, I'm not talking about Indonesia now, I'm not talking about my own poetry. For, since the beginning of time, I think that uh, the world has been an unsatisfactory world and we are, there's something in us, or certainly most of us, or some of us, that wants a better world, and poetry is our way of grasping for that other world. And that other world may not exist yet, but that doesn't mean for me that it's not real, maybe not even more real than this uh, insane world that we're living in now. And we're caught between two different kinds of worlds, and poetry is the vehicle to escape from this one to, to the other one and back. Um that there is an innate goodness in humans that is frustrated by our current civilization is referenced perhaps by you on page 25 as you uh, speak of the horrors of the Indonesian uh, civil war and you say or you gentle reader let us examine carefully the good reasons you and I don't enjoy reading this yeah right oh, you got the poem there yes um, and, uh, you know, I, I was writing this out as a process. Uh, I didn't understand the reasons I didn't enjoy, and the poem continues to explore them and actually goes back into my childhood, and then I realize that I, too, was violent as a child, and I have to wonder why that is. I'm still wondering, by the way. <laughs> Even after the interview with my friend uh, Freeman Ng, uh, he, uh, I, 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 I was a lot wiser about the evil in myself, but it's a, I believe, it's, there's no proof for this whatsoever, but I believe that the, it is, uh, we're most human when we're behaving in, in, in concert with other people and getting along with other people, and if, of course uh, there are times when all of us don't, but I attribute that to the way that we, we are deformed by the frustrations of life, and some people, of course, have terrible lives and become terribly deformed. Um, now, you can't prove that, and I have friends, uh, I have one friend in particular who believes that, no, it's, uh, it's, it's equally human to be a saint or to be a sinner, that there, there isn't a preference in human nature for one over the other. I think there is a genetic tendency to become better than we are now, and that we're not, as a, as a species, 
uh, maybe we haven't really reached the fullness of development when we will be better than we are now. You know, cannibalism used to be widespread. Now, it still occurs, but we usually regard it as uh, pretty dysfunctional if it happens. And, uh, and uh, there's, you know, Freud himself said that certain desires become repressed, and he pointed to cannibalism as being the, the one that has been most uh, widely uh, suppressed as, as a rule. So that's just a belief. And I think I, even if I didn't believe that, I think I still would write poetry, but I do believe it, and it's, my poetry is very connected to that belief. Peter, as we speak of poems and healing, um, so often you are, are uh, asked to trot out uh, the world on fire and the reasons behind it. Would you share with us, sir, a poem of your own? A poem? Oh, my gosh. I should have been ready for that. Uh, I, I, I suppose I do a poem that's completely different, just to, uh, I, you know, I'm now 87. Uh, my... There are a lot of things I no longer do that I used to do. And if I can just find, yes, here's the book I want. Uh, this is a book called Tilting Point that came out in 2012. And part of it is political, but this particular poem is not. It's, uh, it's about what happens to me when I go out uh, for a walk in the morning and Excuse me just a second here. Here it is. I go out for a walk in the morning, and uh, a young jogger, female jogger, aged about 18 and very short shorts, uh, comes running towards me and brushes against me as she goes by. And for some weird reason, this uh, gets me interested. And I have written this poem. It's a, dedicated to Allegra. Allegra is all of these women. Uh, but you say it still happens. I, the odds are about one in three that it will happen any given morning. So I wrote this poem to Allegra. I walk towards you in the morning dark, and you come running. Did I discern a spark of recognition in your wayward glance of all we share in our too brief romance? Yes. For a moment you smile at me as if embarrassed by this brevity. Ironic that you, at maybe 17, should race so avidly to the unseen, and I should haltingly, at 81, still mindful of so much I have not done, pace step by step as my sclerotic eye, obsessed with the vastness of what is nearby, Narcissi stiffening upwards by degrees, buds bursting open in the tulip trees, while simultaneously in a squall hundreds of star magnolia petals fall. I is roused to a final furtive peak towards the scintillations of your silken shorts. And if I called out, sweetheart, not so fast, we need to make each precious moment last. It is too late. You have already passed. Enlightening my sweet confusion, is love no more than brief illusion? Or rather, a predetermined grace 
to enhance our inevitable race. It's maybe not the poem you expected, but you you caught me blindsided. I should have had a poem ready, and I didn't. There are plenty of political ones. They tend to be too long, though. Peter, I don't know if you take uh, uh, requests, but I'm looking at your homing poem, a winter poem. It's, I, it seems to speak to some themes that have been in this interview. I wondered if you, you would read your, your, your opening title poem to Tilting Point. Oh, yeah, that's a, that, that's a much more serious poem, of course. I, I have to get to it. Homing, a winter poem. Uh, it's relevant. I should mention that I'm a Canadian, so I come from north of the border and that the tundra swans uh, in the winter they come down to the delta i go to i go to see them every winter it's, it's a sacred thing for me and then in the summer they fly up to northern canada or even to siberia there there are green uh, swans and cranes that come here from siberia every winter and that is the occasion of the poem uh, and it's dedicated to Thomas Tranströmer, a Swedish poet who has a similar image in one of his poems. I'll skip the epigraph because it takes too long to explain. So here's the poem. Thank you for asking for that one. That's one of my favorite poems. So here we go. Tundra swans have come back from the frozen Arctic to the Delta marshes where I, far from home, drawn by a view of the open sea and by the ancient future in the fantastic gospels of jubal and Nortona, have spent my years building structures for that dawn each poem a conduit from our irreplaceable present to a glimpse of odyssey towards a promised land Structures I at last perceive amid the remnant of a tribe who have lost faith in themselves, seeing their hands stained with blood, their factory doors closing, their songbirds silenced, were mostly made of sand in a tidal area. But even at my age, sensing the sad range of human folly, my habits are entrenched. We are what we have become. Still hoping to please my dead parents, I go on blindly building in the space created by wars as the tundra swans, inspired by the tilt of the earth, get ready to leave for the exact northern marshes Well, Peter, thank you for being part of this irreplaceable presence at the Common Thread Collective. I sincerely hope you'll agree to come back and read more poetry in the future. I'd love to. Thank you. I enjoyed this. Hey, Peter. Yo, Peter. This is me, Diamond Dave. And I just want to say to you, I felt you. I was right there. I'd be 78. 
<laughs> I'd be 78. Which of you had pulled out these poems? Who, who, who wanted to read, hear Tundra, the homing poem? That was James, but it took me right back to where, took me where I'm just before I turned 78, Peter. Okay. I'm thinking I'm an old man now. No, you're a young man. I'm all over. I'm about to tell you. Take a deep breath. I'm about to Oh, I'm an old man now. It's all over. Almost 80. And you're over 80. It's all late. Then I heard the voice of the Spirit. I believe you too. And here's what she said. I'm a Sufi. You heard the voice of the Spirit, and here's what she said. Learn to love. Love to learn never ends. Learn to love, love to learn, this never ends. Because that same situation, I'll be walking along a similar situation, and uh, I'll exchange glances, and it becomes more than a glance with some young woman as she's going by. She checks me out. I check her out. We have a moment of communication, as you were saying so yeah, well. They check you out. They're, I'm not sure they're really checking me out. But not in the way they checked you <laughs> they, out, too. Uh, they're, they're polite. They, uh, I think they're... They, 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 if I, if I don't nudge them, they're not going to uh, be nasty to me. Richard, Richard. So are, we, are we done now? Well, I'm about that. One more sentence, Peter. Yes? Uh, uh, Peter, uh, 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 acknowledge each other. I'm having trouble hearing you. Okay, acknowledging each other's existence. What I, I said, I learned to love, love to learn. That love will get you everywhere. Hate will get you nowhere. And that's where I am, and it does go, and it does go, and we connect to us, and we realize we're all on the planet together. Did we plan well, it? And here we are. You see, I think that's true. I talk this, I, <coughs> we didn't get into this, but uh, Theodore Adorno talks about alterity, that all art has a vision of some other world, and that's what makes it art. And I add to that that there's an alternative. Some of the art is true. I mean, some of the some of some art just creates fantasy. Some art creates truth. I think what you just said is true. To me, as I said, I've been, it's been 15 years since I talked to you, and I was more than that. But I have my sobriety. I haven't had a drink in 15 years, so these things are opening up. And as a Sufi. Understand with the dervish. The dervish is about the It's a lifelong process. The doorway, but the, the door doorway between the two worlds, the world within and the world without, and that's what we're about weaving together. That's what art's about. That's what poetry is about. The spiritual path is about is this doorway, the doorway between the two worlds, the world within and the world without. Exactly. So, Peter, glad to be on the same page with you. Loving you, brother. We be doing what we're doing. It's called community and communication. Take it away, James. I was going to ask him if he's interested in why Rumi is in my book, my prose book. Well, I didn't know he was, but do you know that Rumi was not just a poet, but a dervish. And dervish is, uh, is the Farsi word for doorway, doorway between the two worlds. Where is that? Or where is that in your, in a, do you have that in his prose book? Do you, do you know, that, you know where Rumi was born? I know in Persia. Tell me more. I know he's in Afghanistan, and then he and his family were pushed all the way to Turkey when the when the born in the city of Balkh, B A L K H, in Afghanistan. One of the oldest cities in the world. When he was 13 years old, the Mongols arrived, and because the city of Balkh resisted, and I think they killed somebody in the the ruling family, the Khans. They killed everybody in the city. They were, they were, the city was once supposed to be the largest city in the world. It was the, a major city on the Silk Road. 
and uh, the Mongols leveled it. And since then, it's just been a pile of rubble. And that was what Rumi had to cope with in his life. And that, to me, is, uh, uh, you know, his, his life was a healing of that disaster. I look at the major poets in my life, like uh, Virgil, Dante, Wordsworth, they've all contemplated, uh, or T.S. Eliot, they, they've all contemplated disaster like that. And their art, which is the art that really interests me, is a poetry that is a healing from disaster. And and that's and that's where the I jumping in to say that I feel like that's where the the bravery of poetry really comes from because when you when you live through or witness or know of <clears throat> these these tragedies um, and then having having that the wherewithal and the bravery to write about it. Um, I think is is kind of the, the kind of opens the floodgates um, for whatever comes next and and that healing we've been talking about. I agree with that. I agree. You, when something like that happens, either you're crushed, or else you have to summon up a strength uh, to respond to that kind of catastrophe, which is beyond the strength that you would need for a normal life. And then if you tend also to be creative, then you have a strong kind of creation. See, that's to me why Wordsworth's prelude, he, he witnessed the French Revolution, which he believed in, and then he saw the massacres and the guillotine, and that it so shocked him, he went into depression, and then recovered and wrote the prelude, and eventually, after a few years, he, he added in what he couldn't have written about before, which was his horror at the, at the, at the killings. And where you take someone like uh, Byron, who was a great poet, probably a more gifted poet in some ways, and his epic, Don Juan, isn't about anything like that. It's just a chatty poem. It doesn't have the substance because it's not built on the experience of catastrophe that makes for really great poetry. Yeah, so... Wordsworth speaks to a, a wise passiveness. Um, your books reference a Buddhist tradition of being mindful without doing. The doing is the looking. It is a simple doing, a sort of passiveness. Nor less I deem, Wordsworth tells us, that there are powers which of themselves are minds and press that we can feed this mind of ours in a right. wide passiveness. My wife has a, going to do a, a she's a she helps people by phone, and she needs the phone at four. So I think I'd probably get better get off now. But I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the part when we got off the air. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Peter Dale Scott. We really appreciate you taking the time to call in and talk about so many uh, important world events and and how poetry can can kind of unlock the key to those and not only help the the writer but to understand better, but also so the reader, um, I think poetry is that kind of accessible form, and uh, and uh, I I'm enjoying reading your work, and I look forward to reading more. And, and to be continued. To be continued. You're welcome any time. This is about okay. community. This is about people coming together. It's about free, free speech. Yeah, using these vehicles of the of the internet, we can reach around the world, and people can listen to it. So this is a whole step forward. It's about Peter. It's called doing more together than any of us can do on our own. Bye-bye, I'm going to say. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Peter.
take care and thank you um thank you james ellis for for uh being in, in contact with Peter Dale Scott. I know that you've uh, long read his work and uh, got to got to meet him and uh, and uh, invite him on to the Common Thread Collective. I think uh, it was a, a fantastic uh, an esteemed addition to today's episode. Well, thank you for having us, Cloverval. It was my pleasure. Yes, and I hope to, to see you back here, James Ellis, as another as a guest interviewer in the future because you have uh, so much brilliance to share yourself. Um, so thank you for, for guiding that discussion with us with Professor Peter Dale Scott. Um, he has his own website, peterdalescott.net, um, with lots of resources to his writings, not just poetry, um, but uh, some, some even uh, more hard-hitting, uh, deeper political research, um, such as the Deep State and the Road to 9-11, um, a very well-respected uh, and received uh, scholar, uh, professor at UC Berkeley, former ambassador uh, in Canada, and he was part of the, uh, on, he served with the United Nations as well. Um, so very nice to have, very nice uh, oh, to bring that into today's show. Let me take it higher. Thank you, thank you. So let's let's play a little music here. Let's play a little music here and uh, transition. And you're listening to the Common Thread Collective here on Mutiny Radio. FM, and you can come down and join us at the corner of 21st and Florida Streets in San Francisco.
Thank you for listening to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm. The Common Thread Collective happens every Friday from 3 to 6 here at uh, 21st in Florida. Hope you'll come through. Today we're giving a bon voyage to Dave as he heads off on his summer cross-country journey. Um, but I'll be here most of the summer uh, holding it down here. So please do come through. Bring some music. Play what you got to play. Bring some poetry. Writing. Say what you got to say. Um, and your activism as well. So... Uh, I'm Global Val, and I'm certainly happy to be here on Friday, June 10th, 2016. And we've got uh, our friend, uh, musician Bloodflower, out there sitting at the piano, and he's going to play us some music. So uh, everybody kick back, relax, and enjoy for a few minutes of musical, musical flavors from Bloodflower. That was interesting. That was a older version of Diamond Dave's Common Thread Collective. Um, actually, not that old. That was from June 2016, not that long ago. It's like last month, right? Right. We're so in July. <laughs> but it's great to be back. We took a, a long and extended vacay from Mutiny Radio, but we are back in action, and we have a couple things in the works for you guys, but tonight we're going to be having Ari Vais. He's a longtime friend of the show, and um, he's going to be playing some new material from his band, The Campbell Apartment, and he's also going to be having a special guest, it sounds like, that they'll be here shortly, but um, hopefully you guys haven't missed us too much. Cause I missed you. 
did you? <laughs> we were just having the time of our lives. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, um, I went to New York for my birthday, and then um, we went to see a friend of ours perform at Slim's, and that just happened to be on a Saturday. And then I went to San Diego. You went to San Diego, and then um, I went to see another friend of ours perform that that Saturday. Um, Zach and uh, mixed signals. Um, they were pretty good. And then what did we do last week? Oh, we went to um, we went to Berkeley. We went to Berkeley for another show. We went to see the psychedelic first. So we just I mean we didn't really plan it out that way, but it was kind of like, hey, summer's kind of happening. Yeah, there's actually <laughs> stuff in our schedule, which you know we usually don't have a life. But oh, and then before that was my actual birthday. Yeah, when we did the brunch. God, it's been like a month. Yeah. Of crazy fun times. That's been a lot of fun. Can you hear me through that PA? Um, or, yeah, I can. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Hooray. At least we have that. Yeah, we're doing it kosher uh, today. We don't have any... <laughs> The headphones um, are broken, and then when we when we bring in headphones, there's a new pair of headphones. That's yeah. what always happens. Or they're working somehow magically. <laughs> we're like, what? Yeah. How can you do this to us? So don't give us your money. Buy us some headphones, even if you have some laying, laying around somewhere. An extra know. pair of uh, studio headphones or noise-canceling headphones. I yeah. think those would work. I actually have some that fold. Oh, you do? I do. I never use them. I should probably just bring them in. I should bring um, in my pair, too. Yeah. Just to have... I I think you can get them for like $20. Those headphones, those are the same ones I have. Yeah. For like Best Buy. Mine are Sony. They're like $60. Mm -hmm. They're really expensive. But Mm -hmm. I think at the time I was like, this is so worth it. And I never wear them. (laughs) Um, But at the time they were making headphones without the microphone. So they don't, that's why I never wear them because I use the mic. You know, to make calls and listen to music and switch, you know, turn it down, turn it up, switch songs. And mm-hmm. um, obviously those headphones won't do that, which is not a big deal. But, I mean, it's nice to have. But, um, yeah, I should definitely bring it to the studio and give him a test run for the first time in yeah. four years. You never know. You never know. I forgot we have that fridge. I'm like, what the hell is that sound? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Using all of our juice. Well, anyways, apparently they had a successful um, comedy clubhouse last night. Yeah. And um, Pam's just on a mission from God to spread the love of local comedians in the Bay Area and abroad. I think she went to New York, too, recently. Really? Yeah, and she went to, she goes to the Pacific Northwest. Like, she has connections everywhere. (laughs) So it's just really amazing that she's able to do that and um still uh loves us enough to do our show every week even though we've been gone for a while but now we're back (laughs) and um yeah we're going to be having the Campbell apartment this week um next week we're not going to be here because we're actually going to be at outside lands yay i'm really excited because i haven't been in a couple years so i'm really excited but oh 
Oh, I can't even. Got <laughs> it. Radiohead. It's just, it's just too much. Yeah. In my brain. There's gonna be a lot going down, so I'm just hoping that I'm like mentally, physically, emotionally prepared. Especially physically, it's tiring. Physically, yeah. But I think I'm gonna be staying close. Yeah. to the park mm-hmm. which is a plus I didn't do that last time and then I kind of know by Sunday I'm going to be really irrational so I know just to add to that by drinking a little more than I normally would <laughs> <laughs> or taking you know an ibuprofen or something you know, yeah just to like lessen the the irritation because I was really I I think I really like expended my energy like you did in one day pretty much and I was like oh who cares like I got I get sick the third day, so I'm just trying to avoid that and take vitamins. Vitamin C, y'all. Um, Lots of water. Stay away from anybody who's coughing, Ugh. sneezing, Girl. and just slobbering when they talk. Ew. <laughs> Those are not the people for us. No, uni <laughs> is not the place to be if you don't want to get sick. Hopefully, no. they get sick and then they don't make it to Saturday or Sunday, and then we just enjoy Radiohead to ourselves Uh, all I want is (laughs) to just I don't even know I just want to be okay I just want to be in the front I just want to touch him the lands the coveted lands end stage that's what it's called right yeah the main stage is called lands end stage Well, anyways, um, I'll read a couple new stories from TheEnemy.com, their most recent um, issue. This is what everybody's talking about this week. Everyone's excited about um, the new Train Spotting movie, which is considered the sequel to the original. Um, a trailer has been released for Train Spotting 2, the sequel to the cult 1996 film, and it's all quite exciting. Not a lot happens in the 41 second trailer for Train Spotting 2. It features original characters Renton, played by Owen McGregor, Spud, Owen Bremner, Sick Boy, Johnny Lee Miller, and Begbie, Robert Carlyle, standing above a railroad track while a train goes past and Iggy Pop's Lust for Life plays in the background. They look old. <laughs> <laughs> knackered and amazing excellently it reveals nothing but manages to be fantastically nostalgic info on the new film is scant but Irvine Welsh author of the book that the original is based on recently said the sequel will see Renton Begbie Sick Boy and Spud find a very innovative way to get involved in the world of pornography sounds ace <laughs> Train Spotting 2 is expected to be released on January 27th, 2017. So it's coming up. Mark folks. your calendars. Seriously, I'll probably go see it. Yeah, I want to see it too. Um, it'll probably play it like the Embarcadero, huh? Yeah. It's Can a good excuse to go finally. God, we've been talking about it for years since yeah. they reopened it. <laughs> At least since I've met you. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Okay, we definitely have to do that. Okay. Um, Three classic train spotting quotes. Renton, choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose washing machines, cars, and electrical tin openers. I choose not to choose life. I choose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who need reasons when you've got heroin? (laughs) Begbie, the lassie got glassed, and no cunt leaves till we find out what cunt did it. Oh my gosh. 
Renton. It's shaping Scottish. We're the lowest of the low. The scum of the fucking earth. The most wretched, miserable, pathetic trash that was ever shit into civilization. Some people hate the English. I don't. They're just wankers. We, on the other hand, are colonized by wankers. <laughs> Such a good movie for, like, um, one-liners or whatever you want to call them. Quotes. But that's all I have for that. Um, I have Malia Obama. Yay! Malia Obama skipped. Radiohead said, Palooza. I'm not too happy about that. What? Malia Obama and her plaid-wearing Secret Service detail returned to Lollapalooza on Friday. They're wearing plaid. Played. Played? Plaid. plaid. <laughs> um, it's spelled played. Played. Just so you know. If you're wondering, okay. the first kid's opinion of Radiohead, she opted instead to see Future and Major Lazer. What a big mistake. Um... Apparently, Malia's little sister, Sasha, was also spotted at the festival grounds Friday. She and Sasha were photographed watching Mac Miller's set from the side stage. I'm just going to wager, I guess, that neither Obama will be neither Obama will be at Jane's Addiction set tomorrow night. No doubt to, dis- to the dismay of all other middle-aged Secret Service agents. Mm-mm. And that's it. <laughs> weird. Super short. Super weird, but good for her. She's at the festival. <laughs> Um, I have John Mayer. But um, I'm more excited about the festival that's happening this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> or well, next it's weekend. Well, the same artist, basically. Yeah. But so much better. Because <laughs> it's in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> um, I have an interesting story of John Mayer. Okay. Uh, last year, we crowned Tame Impala the best band and dubbed their current or er, album Currents one of 2015's top 50 releases. Consequence of Sound readers also shared her great admiration for the Australian outfit. Who else thinks very highly of the LP? Well, that would be Your Body is a Wonderland singer and Dead Company member John Mayer. On his Instagram account last night, Major posted a picture of the Currents artwork along with a message stating his under- undying love for the album and band. Quoting, this is the best record of the past two or three years, he wrote. Proven many times over my in my mind. Um, think Radiohead 1996, Coldplay 2003, and Phoenix 2008, Melody Heaven. If I ever got broken up with by a girl for the guy, Kevin Parker and Tame Impala, I'd be like, I understand. If you don't mind, could you maybe bring him to a show of mine sometime? <laughs> what a dick. Um, we're not sure if Smash Mouth are on the Tame Impala bandwagon yet, but Parker's already built up quite a fan club, including Arctic Monkeys' Alex Turner. That's right. Uh, Mark Bronson, Lady Gaga, and Rihanna. So Mayer better be prepared to take a number. Uh, for what it's worth, Mayer recently also posted Instagram pictures showing his appreciation for Pearl Jam's Eddie Vedder and Black Flag. Do 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 do. John Mayer's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, but I'm really excited to hear what uh, Mark Bronson's going to do with Lady Gaga, her new album. Right, and he, that guy's um, been working nonstop. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lily Allen's new album, apparently as well. So. Next year's going to be real interesting. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. That's going to be, what I'm saying is he's going to do a fucking amazing job. <laughs> and I'm not going to be surprised, but I'm going to hope that I somehow cross paths with that mm. guy. 
Mark Ronson. Like, uh, what do you call it? Rub shoulders or oh, whatever they call it. I want to rub something else. Oh, hopefully, hopefully I'll get lucky. Um, let's see. The enemy, enemy at uh, Reading Festival, powered by the University of Reading. Um, so this happens in August. Okay, August 26th to 28th, Reading Festival. Um, October 1st and 8th, the uni, uni opens. University of Reading open days. Um, enemy is teaming up with the University of Reading and 12 of its students to report live. Oh, that's awesome. For the enemy and enemy.com from the mud, music, and mayhem of Reading Festival. An exceptional team of young writers, photographers, and filmmakers from the University and Henley Business School will bring you to the inside track to the summer's hottest events with Falls. We already saw them. Red Hot Chili Peppers. We saw them. Have you seen Biffy Clyro? Clyro? I don't know who the hell that is. See, we already saw all this. Okay, we're good. Uh, here's the lowdown. Enemy and the University of Reading are assembling a festival team to report from the front lines. The team will bring you live content across Enemy, Enemy.com. The University of Reading is ranked in the top 1% of universities worldwide. Hello. With an award-winning campus and one of the best students' unions in the UK. It's, also, it's close to London, I think, too. What is? From what I remember. Reading? Yeah. Um, the university has always attracted students who dare to be different and don't follow the crowd. This is what makes the students a perfect fit for Reading Festival. Did you know? Now in its 90th year, the university played an important part in the music industry long before the festival was established. Pink Floyd, The Who, The Jam, and The Sex Pistols are just some of the acts to have played at stages. The music business is a thriving global economy, with festivals becoming highly lucrative over the last decade. Mm. Henley Business School, an integral part of the university, is renowned for shaping the future of business, looking beyond the stock exchange and FTSC to engage its students. Henley equips students with the skills to innovate and make a positive impact on dynamic industries. If I was 15 years younger, this is where I would go to school. Mm. The team will report live on the aspect of Reading Festival because seriously like I'm just thinking about when I was a teenager it was like I would have had no I mean back then I was reading The Enemy so maybe I would have noticed but it wasn't like the internet was you know social media pretty much didn't exist until later yeah so I was like fuck that would have been so fucking awesome like i wish i was a teenager why <laughs> i wish i was an adult but what the freedom of a teenager but you know what at 30 years old i'm learning how to date so yeah. there's always time there's for always something room for learning, I guess. this is the truth i but have a uh, kanye west stories are you done cool. yeah i'm done go for it um Kanye West is always interesting, I guess. Oh, even though it's kind of getting it, tired. Does it have to do with the, the Taylor Swift thing? Yeah. Weren't they like in on it together? <laughs> yeah. What a bunch of bullshit. Quoting, all I want to say is I'm so glad my wife has Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> but now you should, you should be well versed in the Kanye West versus Taylor Swift feud. In fact, mm-hmm. if you somehow missed the greatest Hollywood blockbusters and Spencer and Heidi on the Hills or Terminator 2, here are some articles he wrote 
um, about it and that you can engage with. Anyway, hashtag engage. Anyway, now that you're up to speed, here's the meat of the latest episode. Kanye joined Drake on stage in Chicago last night with a special, with which is special because Chicago is Kanye's West hometown. Huh. And when he introduced the track Famous, he did so with a victory cry. Quoting, for seven years, y'all had all, y'all had to argue on my behalf. And all I want to say is, I'm so glad my wife has Snapchat. He shouted, addressing the crowd before adding, because now y'all can know the truth and can't nobody talk shit about ye no more. Oh my god, I'm so white, I can't even. Can't talk no shit. Can't talk Um, no shit. uh, For fans of Kanye, it's a golden moment. Perhaps it's even one of vindication. Or as Drake says at the end of the performance, it's, it's some legendary shit. The pair also then went on to perform their track, Pop Style, because this is the rap music and rappers are for there are the new rock stars. You can watch videos of the performances below. And this is actually at a noisy um, from Vice. You know who I would really... I think they're... I mean, technically, they're still together. They never broke up, but... Um, uh, way before Kanye's time, but Run DMC is probably one of my favorite like hip hop acts of all time, and they never. I think they broke up like in the '90s, I want to say, but they are still together. But their DJ was shot to death right. outside of the studio, like back in the early 2000s. But um, they would be like a hip hop act that I would pay like good money to see like at oracle or or wherever but kanye is just i don't know i guess i haven't listened to his music enough but if i were to compare some of you know his contemporaries to what what i'm used i guess used to listening to it just wouldn't to me it just wouldn't like line up with that yeah but maybe that's just me like maybe somebody somebody else would say oh like he defines our generation or um, but I'm I'm saying just music wise, but it seems like I it's it's more, more about for younger. Yeah, it's more about you know, who, you know who's who's you know dating who or who's do you know what right. I mean? Right, because he he's doing the whole reality star family, but um, like I don't really know anybody our age who is just completely like into Kanye West. You know what I mean? Like if anything, um. They're just kind of with a little shame. They're just like, oh, I like a few of his songs. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's mostly like this whole Hollywood uh, Instagram generation mm-hmm. where it's just, mm-hmm. you know, because of his wife and where he comes from and just how much of a narcissist he is, you know, it kind of fits in together with um, the selfie generation. Right. Which, we you know, whatever. I, you know, I'm pretty sure somebody thought our, whoever our heroes are we're stupid uh back when we were growing up and maybe they're right i don't know i so stupid i so stupid i mean not really who was big when we were growing up eminem like the biggest rapper. um eminem who else was i mean beastie boys were still around and yeah, doing it so they were considered they were like, rap alternative they were though. legends they weren't you know they weren't made they were barely you're thinking out. you're yeah. thinking like straight hip-hop um i guess you could like jay-z and the whole like new york uh, yeah. thing like puff daddy and right. notorious big i mean i'm trying to think out now. here though 
I'm trying to think like West Coast. Cause I, he's, he's East Coast. Oh. Yeah, I guess you're right. No, you're right. He was big, like in high school, 50, yeah. 50 cent. Yeah. But now he's like, Cause he was, no he had this. a song in the club. Remember that? <laughs> Is it everybody, everybody, everybody in, in the, the club, club getting tipsy? Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> you know that one? Who sings the song? You know why there? I like that song? Because you remember Lady Sovereign, right? Yeah. She had that line in one of her songs because oh. she was making fun of him. She's like, everybody in the club getting tipsy. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. Why I'm like a gypsy? Like she made fun of him. I was like, I love her so much. It was like. Who sings this song? Uh, it must be the money. Everything I take and around me. Do, do, do. You know that song? No, I don't know. Oh, my God. So you know more I, than I do. I know. Well, I, was, I went to a really low-income school, and Who for lunch, else? they would put hip-hop on, and then if, if the bell rang and our trash wasn't picked up, they would play country. And like kids would just like fucking they would freak start throwing up yeah. like what the fuck is this? Yeah, they were just like pick up trash and and hurry up to class, you know. <laughs> but they have to stand one more minute of it. I can't listen to this. No, yeah. Then TLC was still going. TLC was still going. Early two thousand. Um, Left Eye Lopez Lope died in two thousand two, right? Yeah. Because that's when I was in middle school, and they had a big mural for her in middle yeah. school. She was a big deal. Yeah. Oh no, there's some good ones still around. But anyways, I guess we could play a couple songs. Um, if we get to them, there's some some outside lens artists on this um, on this playlist. But uh, we'll see where the night takes us. Stay tuned for more Mutiny Radio. Sister of mine, oh my God. 
That was an oldie but a goodie, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that was from Radiohead's new album, A Moon-Shaped Pool, True Love Waits. It's actually an oldie but a newbie. Oldie oh, but a newbie. Shit. And before that was the church who we saw last week in Berkeley at the newly uh, refurbished UC Theater, which is actually a nice venue. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. It was actually... Do you think it was a legit like movie theater? It was a legit movie theater, and they just recently refurbished it and opened it back in March, and they've been holding shows regularly since then, and they have some big-name artists there. Um, Which is pretty strange, because it's actually kind of small. Yeah, it's kind of intimate. It's like, I mean, bigger than some of the venues we go to here, but it's not like a huge arena or Greek theater or anything. I can't um, wait to go back there. Yeah. So we might go uh, go cat, back for Cat Power. Cat right? Power. She's kind of on my list yeah. of artists to catch. I think she played at the Fox the yeah. last time she but was the here. Fox is like yeah, that would have been. This is like the next step yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then before that was the Psychedelic Furs, who we also saw with the church. Um that was a you know that was another one off our bucket list. Mm-hmm. That was Sister Europe. 
And we have Ari Baiz with us. How you doing, Ari? How's it going, DJ Aisha? It's going good. It's like, um, it was funny. Our conversation is kind of like we always pick up where we left off. Where, yeah, where you been the last <laughs> <few> years? <laughs> oh, here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> I hear you're going to Austin. It's awesome. I'm really excited. I've never been to the South. I have never been to Texas. So it's going to be brand spanking new adventure for this girl. I don't think Austin counts as the South, does it? <laughs> <laughs> to me, it does. It'll be hot. <laughs> oh, my God. It's going to be like in the 90s, right? Be harder than that if you're really yeah. okay i'll make sure to wear my bathing suit to the office <laughs> and nobody will question that so. <laughs> dipping uh, holes dipping holes, dip holes. Um, people go and drink beer and just chill out nice is that what they call bars over there yeah yeah <laughs> the watering <laughs> hole the yeah. i'm gonna learn holes, right. apparently <laughs> apparently i'm gonna learn a new language too so that'll be good yeah Slacker talk. Yeah, but I'm going with someone who's been there previously, so I feel like she'll kind of be able to show me the ropes a little bit. But uh, a million bars and music venues, and everybody's really friendly and forever hanging out. So I think it'll write itself for you. Yes, so looking forward to it. So tell us about your how um, has music been for you since the last time you were here. Been a couple of years, and I think I was here last when uh, the last album came out, which was called Sundogs, mm-hmm. and uh, played a few songs from it. Yep. Maybe it was already out, yeah. and you spun a few songs vi- on the vinyl. I don't know, but that was, I guess, two years ago or so. Wow. Not very prolific, but I'm writing the next one, and uh, the Campbell apartment will be going to the studio like n- early November. Um, but instead of an album, we'll probably just record whatever we've got by then, and try to maybe ma- make a video and you know drop them on youtube as they are realized instead of waiting for like the dozen songs that make an lp mm-hmm. or if i write real fast we're sort of at six which is like an ep but i don't want to say i might not even put it out like in any kind of collection type of way or a physical manner don't know yet i think writing them is sort of the first step and there's no point thinking ahead of that because you might not write a good one then <laughs> <laughs> but at least you're kind of you're making progress towards the next project that yeah. you're working on and i mean my, my buddy edward who's here from miss march edward michael birch hello the there hello. he records a tiny telephone and every time he he and his band sort of knock out a couple of songs here a couple of songs there so i don't think there's a way to the right way to do it but um it prompts me to p- perhaps write a few more with the studio time coming up like in three months or whatever it is four months Mm -hmm. and it's good that you have that connection how did you guys meet originally well when i moved here in 2009 Mm -hmm. edward and my sister katya who i moved here to be closer to were good friends because of law school Uh uh-huh um then she moved back to brooklyn where i came from and she uh left me uh, edward and so we stayed friends (laughs) <laughs> it's like here you make friends with this guy goodbye yeah I siphoned all the friends and then she happened to leave town and mm-hmm. I retained some of those friendships but we also played <laughs> the band together um, for a long time Edward played drums in the Campbell apartment for a long time sort of filling in because we didn't have one but then the fill-in was like two, two three years long yeah. um, so it was very gracious of him to do 
But that's great that you've kind of, despite all the changes, you've kind of kept this project together. It's not like you had to start up again because we've we've seen that a lot where they start with you know one project or one type of music, but then they evolve into something completely different. But it feels like you've kind of stuck with it through the years. You've evolved through the years. Yeah, I had a band previously called the Pelicans, and just out of deference to those guys, I started a new band and called it the Campbell Apartment, and that was back in New York, New Jersey. But then when I moved here, I didn't want to not keep the name this time around. I'd always not kept the name because it was just a different group of guys and it didn't seem respectful. But then I felt like it, I was old and corporate, and I felt like, this is my brand, damn it. <laughs> and I uh, retooled it a couple of times. There's been like several uh, roommates in the Campbell Apartment over the years, like a lot, actually. But uh, but Edward was in the band for a long time, and, and our drummer Steve um, has been our drummer for a long time now. I think the, the current lineup um, is pretty set. Woo! <laughs> Thank That's you. awesome. And um, are you going to be playing any shows um, locally? Not that, that I know of, because I think uh, we're kind of in full-on album writing mode. Gotcha. Um, Blinders on. Yeah, I mean, I think we're actually maybe playing The Lost Church in, in September, and maybe like some school night bottom of the hill opening for like a local rock show um in october but we're not really trying super hard to play as often as we normally do Mm -hmm. because i'm just trying to write songs you know like more uh and give give that more thought and energy yes Energy is a positive thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, did you want to um, play a song for us? Yeah, I want to play a few. Um, (laughs) That's part of the plan. These are the new ones. They don't have a name yet, album title yet, Mm -hmm. um, or or any kind of... We're just kind of um, arranging and rehearsing them, so when we go into the studio, Mm -hmm. basic tracks can be banged out real easy, and uh, more songs can hopefully be written, but... Do you want to do VP first? Sure. All right. This is called the VP of Snails. One, two, three, four. Thinks that it's people and goes for a walk I 
Catchy, actually. Awesome. Glad you think so. <laughs> it kind of, I don't know, it just kind of took me there. I'm not sure where there is yet. But. I was trying to marry, like, the corporate drudge with the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that part about the office <laughs> supplies. Rock and roll scene, man. Merging those images together and mashing them up. <laughs> God save corporate America. <laughs> I'm the CEO floating out to sea. No. <laughs> And um, I'm sure we talked about this last time or in the past, but who influences you musically? Or is there anyone new since the last time we spoke? No, I'm really Same I, I listen to classical music all day and do, do my job in my laptop like forever and then have food and, you know, have painting lessons or band practice. But I don't really listen to anything but classical because I think it might kind of muck up my writing. <laughs> or electronic music, but just anything uh-huh. that, that, like, that I could work through because anything with lyrics... In other words, I don't spend enough time really discovering new new crap as much as I'd like. No. So you listen to like playlists? Yeah. Of already created. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, to discover new stuff, um, and then whatever friends recommend. But I don't know. This was influenced by Guided by Voices, um, the loopy imagery and the sort of uh, uh, repetitive, insanely catchy. Neighbors. I. That's so funny that you mentioned that. But one of the original members, Doug. Gillard, I think his name is. I saw, I met him. No, I saw him in San Francisco. He was opening up for another band that I saw, and then I saw him on the East Coast too, because yeah, that's where Brooklyn. he lives. Oh, so you probably know him. We're Facebook friends, but I think when I was living in Brooklyn, <laughs> he was still in Ohio playing with Cobra Verde. Uh huh. Yeah. And then I think he was out here not too long ago with another band. Huh. What one? Ugh, I forgot the name, but it's a newer one. Oh, not a surf. I think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because cool, right. I f- follow him on the Facebooks too. Yeah. <laughs> Not surf is like a forever Brooklyn band. Yeah, I was gonna catch them, but I don't know. I didn't make it out. I think it was at Great American, mm. Great American Music Hall. What's your What's your favorite venue in San Francisco to play at? Bottom of the hill, I'd say. Um, it's just kind of something electric about playing there. It's like a big deal every time. Yes. I've only been there maybe less than a handful of times, but I want to go check it out more because I agree with you. There's something like... It helps to have wheels 
Yeah, and like if you don't, then it's a bit of a. It's a trek journey. to get over there. Yeah. yeah. We love playing Amnesia because. Um, it's right over here. Uh, <laughs> that has a lot of walking traffic because it's a, such a seam up and down Valencia, and then you end up playing to people that might not even dig your brand of indie rock, which I feel like is very narrow with us. There are specific check boxes that have to be checked. You're so indie, oh my god. Yeah, uh, and they might listen to like, you know, punk rock or country music. You know, you have to appeal to somebody that's not going to like be lapping up exactly your cup of soup or whatever, and that's like more of a cool challenge because then the show has to kick it could yeah. be like a stew or a broth. I mean, yeah. depending on what you're, you know. Chowder. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you took it there. <laughs> so who are your musical influences? Oh, my influences, mm-hmm. gosh. I've always thought Blonde Redhead was a big influence on me. And then uh, just kind of the old classic rock bands, the Zombies, the Beatles, and Kings and the Stones. All the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen any of them live, Ben Chance? Yeah, I was able to see the zombies because they've been playing uh, live a little bit. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to... Ca- they did a show at Yoshi's, and then they were also at the Fillmore, right? Yeah, where did I catch them? I actually caught them a, uh, quite a while ago on um, at 12 Galaxies when it still existed on Mission, which is now... <sighs> Yeah. Soir. <laughs> I'm not sure Bellin. what's going on. Yes, uh, yeah, I know which one. But, they played uh, there? Yeah, it was wild. Really? They, they were doing this strange tour and they, they just kind of played. <laughs> that's weird. I was other like, I don't remember that. D- they were at Stern Grove last year yeah. for free. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but they once they started realizing that people thought Odyssey and Oracle was a classic album, I think they started um, going, hey, we should tour and play that album. And they did. And so I got to see that at Fillmore. Yeah. Oh, wow. awesome. The Fillmore will never die, which makes me happy. I'm putting that out there into the it's universe. It's been open since 1965, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's uh, John Spencer Blues Explosion's wife's band's name? It's a long name. I didn't know he had a wife. I'm just uh, but we just saw them, my buddy and I, at Slim's, and it was really great can't believe I'm spacing the name, but they were on tour and they were like, they were loving it. Ooh, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Oscar, if you're listening, text us. <laughs> nuts. <laughs> John Spencer, Blues Explosion's wife. Man, man. Oh, man. But they play, they play pretty often too, right? Like once a year? I think so, yeah. Yeah, there's always some, some good show coming up. Something, something, something. Are you going to anything coming up that we should know about? Hmm. Nope. Just saw Louis C.K. at the Oracle Arena. Oh, he wanted to go to that. Yeah, she yeah, wanted. It was really fun. It was, it was good. How long did he do? How long was uh, the show? It was like an hour, I'd say. Oh, okay. And then he, he went straight to uh, San Francisco to play the, the Bill Graham immediately afterwards, like the late. Oh. Yeah, it was a double. <laughs> he flew across the bay. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably rich enough to afford it. <laughs> he was in a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> Gold helicopter. <laughs> He's so spacious. So do you live out here permanently, or do you, would you consider yourself, <laughs> this is in the nicest way possible, a drifter? Like <laughs> a, uh, interloper. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just move so often throughout my life, and uh, have done ever since we came to the States from Russia. I was just had the moving bug, and I've lived all over in, in the UK, and I feel kind of like, 
life is so short and there's so many great places and people to get to know and yeah. scenes to get to know that I would never say no if somebody said, let's up, let's check, move, live here now. I think kind of like Edward here, who's moved to Berlin recently but still lives here, it's kind of hard to say no to experiences. And uh, so many great places. What's it like living in Berlin? Um, it's fun. It's not too different from here. It's very, it's very chill. And, um, yeah, there's a scene for everybody. There's something to do for no matter what you're into. Did you have to learn how to German, or did you already know no, how to speak it? No, my wife speaks German, but I uh, in Berlin you can get by pretty easily without without German these days. It's a very international city, and a lot of expats there. A lot of Italians and Australians also. So oh, interesting. English tends to be spoken at a lot of the mm-hmm. uh, bars and coffee shops. So. <laughs> yeah. And what prompted you to move there? Oh, just the opportunity presented itself. My wife kind of catalyzed it, and we just wanted to have kind of a year in Europe, so we went for it. Woohoo! Yeah. Nice. And um, did you want to play another song for us? Yeah, sure. Woohoo! <laughs> what, how are we doing on time? Um, I think we're good. We have another, like, f- less than 20 minutes. <laughs> Unless nobody comes in, then we're fine. No, okay. I, I just saw... Oh, there's somebody coming in. Okay. This is called Frustration Station. different endings 
write that about mutiny radio by any chance thank you thank you about the radio <laughs> oh no <laughs> i was thinking train station a desolate train station and you can't tell if it's open or closed or a museum or how did you get there you know yeah am i supposed to be here yeah that's kind of how i feel too though it's like being here i'm like how did this happen <laughs> why is this happening <laughs> So which <laughs> which station were you at, or is it written no, it's about? it's a state of mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's figurative. Yeah. Not it's literal. A, it's, it's a yeah, cinnamon, or what do you call it? Cinnamon. It's a cinnamon bun. Mmm. <laughs> now I like, now I see where we're going. <laughs> Symbolism. <laughs> not, a, not a metabolic. A metaphor. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. I need Edward to, to get me straight. And are these songs going to be on the new EP or yeah, new recording? Yeah, the new recording. I mean, I hope it's going to be enough songs for like a 10, 11 song thing by late fall, you know, by like airing out the ones that are already not that new but haven't been recorded. I'm like making them not new feeling at all. So the radio and uh, all the rehearsals will maybe catapult me to write, you know, another three or four before we start tracking. And then you already have what? is known as an LP. I've still not decided as to the, if the LP is dead and just song by song. Because that's how I consume songs, is song by song these days. It's just like LPs. Sometimes I'll get a whole record, but mm -hmm. it used to be only that way. And, and, you know, I never thought I would leave that format. But mm -hmm. now it's just a different time with, like, a shorter attention span and exactly. way more content. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just want to hear a specific tune and then a different tune. And uh, so, you know. As long as the songs are good, I don't think it really matters. Exactly. And do you have your music available online as well as physical? Yeah, it's all over the interwebs. Um, Reverb Nation is one place to hear it, and YouTube, um, and then soundcloud.com slash TCA, as in the Campbell apartment, mm -hmm. is one aggregate as well. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's all over, and we're all over the Bay Area. Like, we'll play again soon. I'm just not super hard trying to get a booking. Is he going to open for you? I wanted to rejoin the band, but this time yeah. on keyboards and second guitar. But you know. But then he has to fly all the way back over here he again. He seems to do that constantly. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of frequent flyer miles for my friend over here to my He's left. like, do I have to? <laughs> well, we'll only book shows around when you're in town. Uh, chat. Well, there you enough. go. That's <laughs> convenient. <laughs> no pressure not to put you on the spot live on a radio show. It just occurred to me. Yeah. Um, this one is uh, kind of a, a rave up, like replacement style rave up. And uh, it's called You Win Some, You Loathe Some. Uh -huh. Don't 
Thanks for your CD, I immediately turned it into a coaster. Thanks for your CV, I immediately turned it into a poster. I hope you hit a homer in the seventh quarter. And if you see a homeless person, give him your whopper. You win some, you load some, it don't mean a lot in the end. Sign your name on the dotted line for a chance to win and be famous. But on the other hand, most of the time you don't want to be in the papers. You win some, you load some, you loan some. Sometimes you tighten, you lessen, you load some. It's awesome. to get what I need I'm sorry that I flaked I've never been late or gotten a ticket because of my speed I hope you spend the weekend working nine to five but Sunday through Friday you do the jump and jive you win some, you load some it don't mean a lot in the end <laughs> Next question. Would you ever do a comedy album? I like to think that it's all a bit comedic. I don't think I'd write a song or, or do any self-expression that didn't have comedy in it. I just hope it's not mostly comedy. But I think something totally comedy-free, I would just not necessarily... Uh, I wouldn't... Maybe a novel, but even a novel ought to have funny parts. I think a tiny bit of comedy is appropriate in everything. That's important. Like a little bit of salt. Exactly. <laughs> this is just a really funny song that I came here to play specifically because of the RNC and the DMC yeah. run DMC. Um, <laughs> no, this is about, you know, this is about Donald Trump. Ready?
was your ode to Donald. Yeah, he's, he's a funny guy, and I thought I'd write a funny song about this funny guy. Uh, orange guy. Yeah, so he likes Like your microphone, Orange. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you write that song, like, within the past year? Since sure, yeah, it was during the campaign. It's just such a cartoonish, outrageous, like, toilet-like uh, election uh, cycle right now. Definitely. I've uh, never seen anything so... You know, garish and almost, almost uh, unreal. So I, you know, so is the song garish and unreal and funny and horrible. But I feel like a lot of people would listen to your song and relate to it or sympathize so. with it. Sure, you, you know, could like, go viral with that. I really want that to go viral. Are you gonna put it on YouTube? It is on YouTube. It is on YouTube. Well, maybe it isn't, but uh, I should. Yeah, it's, it's on. It's on. Something. It's on SoundCloud. It. <laughs> you, did? you saw it? I saw it on. Facebook, so it's, it's out there. Oh, yeah, it's out there. It's on, out uh, there, people. Listen it's to it. SoundCloud.com slash TCA, as in the Campbell apartment. It's the first song up. It's just still in demo form, though. Yeah, send, well, send it to me, and then I'll, I'll blast it. Okay. And people will be like, whoa, she did that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the election, not until November, so it'll still be, you know. So if they follow him, they know not to follow me, right? Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah, like repellent. The song's like repellent. Like uh, <laughs> demagogue repellent, yeah, racist repellent. Unfollow, yeah. unfriended, don't know you yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> My dad said, you know, it's a really good song, but maybe you should bury it and not like release it in any way because he brings out like the ugly in people and take the high road. But I was like, yeah, ugly, ugly, you know, so much vitriol makes other people have the rage and everybody's gets racial. So, you know, this is like my bowel type you know he brings out the bowel in everyone so this is your interpretation of that yeah so there you go i wanted to sing it all pretty while having you know such violent lyrics because contrast is artistic hopefully yes 
Definitely. And where can people, what's the best website for people to check you out online? Oh, and this is, this song is called, I know what I've done. Um, that way you can use your imagination. Um, <laughs> and it's not about me. It's just about a fella who took a shot. Um, it's yeah, I'd say soundcloud.com slash TCA is, is where you'll hear the most songs by the Campbell apartment at the moment. And, awesome. uh, the new record will be out very early in the new year, I should think. Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping on by. Did you have any last parting words? Parting words? <laughs> Can I come back this and is see a, you again? This is a, a morbid kind of show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly a funny song. I Hopefully think. it'll be less than two years. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll run faster. Yeah, it'll Hopefully we'll have a positive turn of events in November, and we'll have fun things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll phone in the next bunch of tunes from Canada, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever your bunker is located. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't commit any more crimes. Like my lifelong criminal activity will have to. Uh, you know, if he wins, if he wins, I'll have to go. Uh, you know, on the up and up. <laughs> oh God. I'll be like, all right, where have you been? I haven't heard from you in two years. <laughs> no more crimes. <laughs> they'll get you. Exactly. Well, thanks again for stopping on by. Thank it was you guys. great, and hopefully we'll be seeing you at a show here in the Mission yeah, sometime the, soon. Yeah, the Lost Church in mid-September. But I'll uh, that would I'll be cool. You to confirm. Yeah, I've never been to the Lost Me Church. Neither. Really? It'll have to be a stripped-down set. By the way, and I know we're leaving now. Yeah, we were saying our goodbyes, but Edward just got back from the Democratic National Convention last night. He was there. Oh, you went? Philadelphia the past yeah, week. How was it? It was all right, you know. <laughs> uh, Did you love it? No, no. I didn't love it. You went to protest, didn't you? Philadelphia oh, great. okay. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't, yeah. It was, I just went to see the scene, and uh, there were some angry people. and Crying um, people? Upset people, but... You know, it's just an interesting thing because it's ubiquitous when you're there in that city. It's on every TV, and you can feel it. You see people with their delegate badges walking around, so it's definitely it was an experience. It's like when people come here and invade our city. Yeah. During, during, during all kinds of stuff, usually Oracle yeah. and all that, you know, the tech people, yeah, Salesforce. Force. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's like a similar feeling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I have to reflect on it before I have any interesting comments. Yeah. No, I'd be I'd be interested to to hear what hear what you thought. Even it's, I mean it sounds like you might have disagreed with them, but I mean I'm interested to hear all points of view. So <laughs> I was just there to support Bernie, but I to tell you the Bernie. truth, I was there. We got tickets and committed to going kind of before he endorsed Hillary. So it was uh. kind of like you know, we were just kind of there. <laughs> Enjoying the view, yeah. which is Philly. It didn't feel quite as uh, purposeful, but we we enjoyed ourselves. That's awesome. That's great. Well, hopefully it was a good trip. <laughs> I'm a Bernie person too, but I'm going to cast my vote, you know, against the Fuhrer. Yep. Because I'm scared. Do what you got to do, man. Yeah. <laughs>